proactively protecting public health in the Delaware River Basin and beyond. DamascusCitizens.org Rosie Starr for Radio Catskill. Welcome to Farm and Country, locally produced radio about rural life in the Catskills and the Delaware River Valley. On today's show, Keith Hubbard has a Star Talk report on viewing the rotation of the Big and Little Dippers. Stephanie Phillips highlights coyotes in Sullivan County. In her segment Now You Know, she speaks with Pam Golden environmental educator and wildlife rehabilitator. All of that coming up on today's Farm and Country here on Radio Catskill. But first, news headlines from NPR. Live from NPR News, I'm Barbara Klein. Police in Texas are searching for a gunman suspected in a mass shooting in downtown Austin overnight. NPR's Amy Held reports 13 people were wounded. Two are in critical condition. It happened in Austin's 6th Street Entertainment District. The streets were packed, police say, with nightlife revelers at pre-pandemic levels. When shots were fired around 1.30 in the morning... Interim Austin Police Chief Joseph Chalkin says so many people were hit in such a crowded area, first responders had to improvise. Because of the nature of the injuries, officers had to go ahead and use their police vehicles to put some of these shooting victims into the vehicles and transport them themselves to the hospital. Police are asking for witnesses to step forward, particularly those who might have taken cell phone video. The FBI has been called in to help. Amy Held, NPR News. At the G7 summit in England, President Biden and his partners say they're launching an infrastructure initiative for the developing world. NPR's Franco Ordonez reports leaders say it's aimed at countering China's growing global influence through its Belt and Road Initiative. The World Bank says there are about $40 billion of projects needed in the developing world through 2035. The group of seven leaders are discussing a new fund designed to serve as an alternative to China's initiative to help countries build big projects around the world. The White House says that Biden will also push G7 leaders to take a tougher stand against China's use of forced labor. Ethnic minority groups such as Uyghur Muslims are forced to produce cotton and work in factories, factories that make products that end up in big brands bought in G7 nations. Franco Ordonez, NPR News, Cornwall, England. The U.S. Embassy in Cambodia says a planned diplomatic visit to a naval base there has been cut short. Michael Sullivan reports the embassy says Cambodian officials have refused to allow the U.S. defense attaché adequate access to the base. There's been a lot of chatter in the past year about Cambodia's Reem naval facility and the possibility it could be used as a forward military base by China, Cambodia's biggest investor and political partner. The defense attaché's trip was scheduled after a meeting last week between Prime Minister Hun Sen and visiting U.S. Deputy Secretary of State Wendy Sherman. But the embassy says the attaché's Friday visit was cut short after Cambodian officials refused to allow him full access to the base. Cambodian spokesman Pei Sipan, however, insisted his country had fulfilled its commitment 
but said he was open to more visits. For NPR News, I'm Michael Sullivan in Chiang Rai, Thailand. This is NPR. Support comes from Van Gorder's Furniture, featuring Lodge and Adirondack styles as well as rustic collections, with showrooms at Lake Wallenpapak, downtown Honesdale, and Milford, PA. Van Gorder's Furniture brings the outdoors inside. VanGorders.com. This is Rosie Starr. Welcome back to Farm and Country. Coming up on today's show, Stephanie Phillips highlights coyotes in Sullivan County. In her segment Now You Know, she speaks with Pam Goldman, environmental educator and wildlife rehabilitator. But first, here is Keith Hubbard with this week's Star Talk report on viewing the rotation of the Big and Little Dippers. Thank you for joining us for this week's locally produced... Farm and Country. Country, I'm Keith Hubbard, and this is Star Talk. The Big and Little Dippers will be very easy to spot this week. Both will be high in the sky in the evenings. Even though the two dippers are circumpolar, meaning they never dip below the horizon, sometimes they are low in the sky and are difficult to see. But that will not be the case this week. The Little Dipper will be standing on the last star of its handle, Polaris. The Big Dipper will be higher in the sky and to the left of the Little Dipper at nightfall. Throughout the night, the Big Dipper will rotate counterclockwise around the Little Dipper. In fact, all the stars in the sky will appear to be rotating in that direction around Polaris. This is a result of Polaris being almost in line with Earth's North Celestial Pole. Polaris is known as the North Star and was widely used as a navigational aid. Polaris is one of seven stars that make up the Little Dipper. The Little Dipper is also known as Ursa Minor, or the Little Bear. The seven stars that make up the Big Dipper are part of the large constellation Ursa Major, or the Great Bear. Ursa Major is the third largest constellation in the sky and is one of the few constellations that resembles the object it is named for. The stars that make up the Big Dipper are the hind end and tail of the bear. The Big and Little Dippers will be high in the sky in the evenings this week. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future Star Talk segments, my email address is startalk at farmandcountry.org. For Farm and Country and Star Talk, this has been Keith Hubbard reminding you to keep looking up. Stephanie Phillips with Now You Know for Farm and Country. That spooky howling doesn't mean that you have coyotes in your kitchen. 
but you might have them in your yard. This is a familiar night sound up here in the country. Should we be scared? Here to tell us about coyotes is Pam Golbin, environmental educator and a New York State licensed wildlife rehabilitator. Pam, can you tell me about your background and how you ended up being an educator for wildlife? Sure. I grew up in Wisconsin and went to college in Wisconsin and then transferred to Minnesota, the Medical Institute of Minnesota, to get my veterinary technician license. If you grew up in Wisconsin, do you notice a difference in the kind of wildlife we have, and particularly coyotes, from what Wisconsin would have had? I've been out east here for about 40 years, so a lot has changed in in Wisconsin where I grew up. So it's hard for me to make that comparison, but I do know that there are coyotes in Wisconsin. One of the researchers that I had been speaking with was doing research in Chicago, My guess is that it's similar. They were probably in Wisconsin maybe a little before they got to the Northeast here. When I was growing up, there may have been coyotes, but probably not a large population where people were noticing them yet. Uh Uh-huh. Pam, I heard that you recently lectured on coyotes at the Mamakating Environmental Education Center. What made you pick that topic? Well, people have a lot of questions about coyotes, and it's always been a popular topic, so I suggested to Jackie, and she said, yep, she thought that was a a great topic. So we had as many as we could have during this COVID time. We had a full section of people social distancing coming to the lecture. It's just a very current topic, and people do have a lot of questions, and they have a lot of misconceptions. So it's, it's nice to be able to speak to that. Well, they are very noticeable if you live up here, so that's something that you become very aware of. Pam, what do coyotes eat, and how big an animal can they kill? Here in southern New York, coyotes may have a little bit different diet than coyotes up in the Adirondacks, but basically a coyote is an opportunistic omnivore. You look at their dental structure, and it looks like they would be a carnivore, but they actually will eat many different things. They will eat pretty much anything that's edible and easy to catch or to get into. The majority of their diet is small rodents, rabbits, but they will also eat eggs. In the spring and summer, they'll eat small reptiles, small snakes, frogs. In the late summer and fall, big juicy grasshoppers are a big part of their diet. Well, how big an animal can they kill? Do they have any impact on the deer population? Yeah, that's a good question. They do take some of the larger mammals, being the apex predator here, there aren't too many other animals who will go after, say, an adult groundhog or the Canada geese. So they do take those size animals. Sometimes they'll take beaver. But deer, one of the universities in New York did a study a few years ago checking their coyote scat to see what they were eating and also tracking them. They discovered that coyotes do consume deer. But huh. ten- do, they, do they hunt in packs? They must, do they gang up on the deer? Well, this is what's interesting. 10% of the deer consumed were actually killed by the coyotes. The other 90% were scavenged from deer that had already died. 
roadkill or died from something else, maybe a broken leg and couldn't move. So they're not really taking many actual hunting, killing many actual deer. And those that they were taking, most of them were older or sick or injured and easy to take down because our coyotes are larger than western coyotes. The eastern coyote is larger, but it's still an adult, a good healthy adult deer is tough to take down. They do occasionally hunt in small groups in the winter, especially up in the Adirondacks where they will take deer. But again, it tends to be deer that are a little slowed down by something. So as far as them affecting our deer population, I don't think that they do. Now, one thing that they do is they do take fawns in the springtime, but it's not been shown that even taking fronds in the spring have been affecting our deer population. And certainly here in urban areas where we have sometimes 100 deer per acre, deer control would be a good thing. Mm-hmm. I wonder about whether they live in packs, because when they get going, they can make a terrific racket. It always sounds like there's bunches of them. Right. Coyotes make a lot of vocalizations. They have about 11 different sounds. And when they get together and vocalize, it sounds like more animals than it is. But two or three can sound like a dozen. They are vocalizing to communicate with each other. So a pack essentially is not like a wolf pack either. It's a family unit. It's usually the alpha, the male and female who are breeding, and the pups from that year. Their packs are family units. It's more loose pack than a wolf pack. Uh-huh. Are they territorial? Do they market territory and defend it? They are very territorial, yeah. And their territory depends upon what food is available to them. If there isn't a lot of food available, they may have quite large territories. Or in urban areas where they'll eat trash, they'll eat out of garbage cans, they'll eat rodents in urban areas. So there tends to be easy food to get, and so their territories will probably be smaller. But yes, they are territorial. They're especially territorial when they have pups, when it's denning season and pup rearing season. Spring? Spring, yeah. Pups are usually born in April, and then they'll be in the den for a couple of months, and then they leave the den and spend the rest of their summer and fall learning how to hunt with their parents. So they are very territorial, And in the spring is the time when they have pups that they're going to be the most territorial. One thing that they do is they do allow corridors between territory so that it's a way for coyotes to be able to walk through to different areas without encroaching on another coyote's territory. What do you mean? Who allows corridors? The coyotes allow corridors between their territories. They don't actually overlap. There are areas that... It's kind of free, it's kind of like a free base that they can walk through. Because if one coyote encroaches on another coyote's territory, there's very likely going to be an altercation. And how do they mark their territory? Through urine and feces. So they mark it, and there's a lot that one coyote can learn about another coyote, just like our dogs do when they're out, we're walking with them and they're sniffing around. They can tell if it's a young coyote that left that scent, an old coyote, a female, a male, ready to breed or not, healthy, not healthy. So there's a lot that they learn about each other that way. 
and just how recent that territory is being marked. During the pup season, they mark their territories quite often and will protect it as well. Are they dangerous to people or pets? And could a medium-sized dog defend himself against a coyote? Yes. Well, cats and small dogs look like they're the size of prey. They move like prey. And so, yes, coyotes can and will take them because they don't know it's your pet. It looks like prey to them, so they will. Being a veterinary technician and working with cats for a long time, there are a lot of dangers to cats that are allowed to be outside at night. It's not just coyotes. So when cats disappear, it seems to me lately coyotes are the first things to get blamed. And certainly they can take cats. They will take cats. But cats, dogs, domestic dogs can kill cats. Cars kill cats. Other cats kill cats. Disease. Owls, great horned owls take cats. There's a lot of dangerous to an outdoor cat. For dogs, a small dog left out maybe to go to the bathroom late at night in the dark when there are coyotes in the area could get taken. It looks and smells and acts like prey. Well, how big does a dog have to be to guard farm animals against a coyote? A a medium-sized dog may not have an altercation with a coyote. That kind of depends on how aggressive the dog is and how close to pups it is. Generally, a coyote doesn't want to get injured. An injured coyote isn't going to be able to hunt for itself. So a large dog, a coyote may be more likely to back down from. As far as protecting livestock, a large guard dog is a good protector from coyotes. I hear donkeys are also, and uh, llamas can also be very good. Because a large animal, the coyotes, they're not that large. They're not wolf-sized. Wolves are twice the size of coyotes, so they're not going to risk being injured generally with these animals guarding livestock. Pam, is it legal to shoot them or to trap them? Well, New York has a six-month season from, I believe it's October through March, where hunting is allowed, hunting and trapping is allowed. If you have a nuisance coyote where it's causing damage to your property or animals or threatening in some way, then you're allowed to remove that animal. You you would have to look on the DEC website or call. I don't know if you have to actually ask permission to do that before, but certainly, yes, that animal can be removed if it's causing a dangerous situation. Does hunting have an impact on the coyote population? Mm. So what's interesting is it's been shown that through many years, going back 100 years ago, that eliminating hunting and removing coyotes does not work to control the population. They actually control their population themselves. Once their territories are taken up, and coyotes, the young that are moved out, have to move on from the pack, from the family unit, the end of, let's say, October, November, December, many of them, especially the males, are moving, they could go 100 miles looking for new territory. Once the territories are filled up, and again, the territory size depends upon how much food is available, but those territories are taken up, then the younger coyotes are not going to find their own territory, and therefore they won't be able to establish a mated pair and there will be no more or fewer pups or just the alpha pair 
that already have territory will be breeding, and those number of pups is usually smaller once territory is filled up. Once you hunt coyotes or remove them, either breaking up a breeding pair or just removing coyote territory becomes available, now you have coyotes that haven't been paired up and mating just moving into those territories. Usually it's two-year-old coyotes, the females, that'll breed, but coyotes can breed at a year old if the opportunity um, shows itself. And the litters are larger, so they pretty much fill up those gaps, and you're back to that stable population that they limit themselves. Hmm. What could a farmer do to protect his chickens and other small animals from coyotes? Can they climb fences? Can they dig under fences? Yeah, they can climb and they can dig. If you have small animals, if you're going to have rabbits or chickens or ducks, coyotes are intelligent and adaptable, but as they were smarter. So make sure you build your pen or whatever you keep, hutches that you keep your animals in. Make them strong. Build them strong. Sink the fencing down under the ground. Cantilever it under or over. Maybe you need tops on there. Make it strong enough so that coyotes can't get in there. And do bring your animals in at night. Bring the chickens, the ducks in. It's just a matter of planning ahead, making sure it's coyote-proof. Uh, at Mamacating, one woman had said that she had chickens and ducks, and she said she's had many different animals get into the chicken coop or with the ducks from weasels to owls to foxes. She said that she'd never had a coyote <laughs> get into the animals. Just have a nice, secure pen or hutch or whatever. Pam, you mentioned the variety of sounds that they make. What do those howls mean that we hear at night? Eleven different sounds, from woofs to growls to yelps to yips. They mean, they actually, they do have different meaning, but essentially they're vocalizing and communicating with each other, whether it's the parents with the pups or whether it's the pack vocalizing to let another pack know that they're there. So they vocalize pack to pack and individuals within the pack. Sometimes it might be pups with the parents when they're younger and then older as they're going out further and further from the parents at night. There might be a call like, where are you? We're over here <laughs> kind of thing. They do seem to enjoy vocalizing. And again, with all those different sounds they can make and they can change from one sound to another very abruptly, a family of, say, four pups and two adults, can sound like a lot of lot of coyotes when it might just be four or six individuals or even sometimes just two. Mm -hmm. you, you mentioned a little bit about mating habits. Are there more things that you would say about it and where and when they breed and how long it takes for their puppies to grow up? Well, males and females mate for life. Generally, they're about two years old before they will start mating. They establish their pair bond in January, so they need to kind of, as the days start getting longer in January, they start, probably the hormones are starting to heighten, and they kind of make that connection. They spend more time together. Mating occurs end of January through February. Gestation is 62 days, pretty much the same as a dog. So the pups are born uh, usually in April, early to late April. 
the den is always prepared before the pups are born. Lots of times the female is digging a den or making use of an established den. If it's an abandoned groundhog den or old fox den, they may enlarge that. Sometimes it's just a hollow tree, a tree that's fallen down or natural crevice. But they get that ready and then the pups are born. The male stays with the female. He brings food. She'll stay with the pups the first week or so because they're born blind, deaf, just a little bit of light fuzz covering. So they don't thermoregulate well. The female stays with them, nursing them until they get a little bit larger and can thermoregulate better. So the male brings food to the female and then when she can, she goes out and starts hunting too. Four to six is an average litter. Their eyes open in 10 days, their teeth are up in 12 days. Uh, pups wean about five to seven weeks old. Uh, females starts weaning them around five weeks old, and by seven weeks they're usually weaned. And that's pretty similar to our domestic dogs. And then they abandon the den site. They don't stay in there, they don't use it year-round, and they quite often have a second emergency den site so that if a predator threatens their den, or the pups get infested, bad flea infestation, they may move their pups to another den. How long do they live? Yeah, an adult in the wild, probably about 10 years, 10, 12 years. They live up to 20 years in captivity. The pups, once they leave, once they're kind of, and they do, they're forced to go find their own territory. That's a vulnerable time to them. That's probably when you're going to see Probably the highest death rate is with those pups. I know that here where I live in Orange County, early winter is usually when you see the most coyotes dead on the side of the road. And usually it looks like they're younger coyotes. But those who survive and have learned have a lifespan of 10 to 12 years. How could we learn more about coyote? Bear Mountain Zoo has, I believe, still three coyotes that are living there. They're they're there because they're non-releasable, and so they're a good source of information, and you can go visit their enclosure. The USGS has a lot of documentation about coyotes throughout the United States. That's a good site. Bear Mountain is a nice option because that's not very far. Right. Pam, I know you do education about wildlife in the area. If somebody wanted to have a program, how would they reach you? I can be reached at my email, which is Pam Golden, and that's P-A-M-G-O-L-B as in boy, E-N, at gmail.com. So you can send any questions there. I do, I do uh, programs and workshops for libraries, nature centers, and associations. So now you know something about the lifestyle of coyotes. Our wildlife expert has been Pam Goldman, environmental educator and a New York State licensed wildlife rehabilitator. Pam says that you can find more information about coyotes on the Department of Environmental Conservation website dec.ny.gov If you have ideas for topics for future Now You Know segments, email me at stephanie, S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E, at wjffradio.org. 
This has been Stephanie Phillips for Farm and Country. you enjoyed our show this week with production by volunteers Keith Hubbard and Stephanie Phillips. Special thanks goes to our guest, Pam Goldman, environmental educator and wildlife rehabilitator, speaking on the subject of coyotes in Sullivan County. This has been your host, Rosie Starr. Thanks for listening to Farm and Country on WJFF Radio Catskill. Support for Farm and Country comes from Damascus Citizens for Sustainability, a community-supported, science-based nonprofit taking legal actions, providing tools for action, and raising awareness of fracking damage since 2008, proactively protecting public health in the Delaware River Basin and beyond. DamascusCitizens.org WJFF's fabulous online auction is happening now. Win great items and support Radio Catskill. So many generous businesses and organizations have donated, including Forestburg Playhouse, Mayor Wassner, Narrowsburg Proper, 